Welcome, everybody, to the Junction City Podcast. I am your host, Colby Peterson. With me today in the virtual octagon, we have Megan Sanders. Meg Sanders. Oh, I didn't know if I say it or you say it. Well, you can, we could both say it. Let, let now people, we both said it. Let people hear your melodious voice, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a special episode for the JC Peeps today. We are pleased to be sitting down and chatting with Brad Acey. Did I say that right, Brad? Brad Acey, I should yep. confirm that yes. before we started. Uh, Brad Acey, who is the president of the AFT in Utah. Um, we're going to talk about teachers and their concerns with going back to school and in the midst of COVID-19. So looking forward to the conversation. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, let the folks around you know if there are people that are also politically active in Weber County and you want to Stay in the know. The Junction City Podcast is a good place to do that. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, join the Junction City Forum, which is our Facebook group. It's a great place to continue the conversation and interact with other JC peeps about what's going on in Weber County. You feel less alone. <laughs> you certainly do. Uh, in fact, today I went, I went and got this, this t-shirt. Shout out to Stone Mountain Press on 26th Street in Ogden. They... Uh, they hooked me up with the with the free T-shirt, one of those Instagram thing, and so afterward I chatted with some of the folks there and some 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 good folks over there. So go hang out. But with that, let's uh, let's chat with Brad. So Brad, I wanted to uh, start the conversation by giving the JC peeps a little bit of information about who's Brad AC. Um, tell us a little bit about, a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from, your career as a teacher in Weber County, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm a pretty simple guy. I, I grew up as a farm boy in Farmington, uh, Davis County, uh, back when there wasn't a lot of houses and things like that. And um, first one to attend college in my family, uh, first one to graduate uh, from college in my family. Uh, chose to be a teacher uh, early on uh, when I was in high school, influenced uh, by a great art teacher uh, as an artist and uh, decided that's what I wanted to do um, is to be a teacher. So definitely had some great experiences in public schools, uh, product of the public schools and uh, went my first day to Weber State University, uh, went up there. Yep. Go Wildcats. And then uh, declared my major of art uh, uh, minor in history and said I wanted to go in teaching, and the academic advisor said, oh, you know, you don't need to choose your major right now. You'll be back. And I said, nope, you'll never see me again. And I stuck to it, went all the way through the program, actually earned uh, a second degree later on in my teaching career. I got my master's degree also at Weber State in curriculum and instruction with a endorsement in gifted and talented education. So I uh, taught in the Ogden City School District, did my student teaching at Central Middle School, uh, that's now James Madison Elementary, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was there, the Weber State were a little nervous about sending me to Central. They didn't usually send student teachers there. Uh, loved the inner city, loved those uh, students. And uh, the good thing about my student teaching is before I even graduated at the end, the principal at Central Middle School came up to me and said, you know what, we need you you want to teach. So I went right into my student teaching with a career the next fall. And I spent uh, wonderful years um, in Ogden City School District. 
uh, teaching until 2013 uh, when I uh, was on release time uh, to serve as AFT president for the union for the state. So love my time, love Ogden City School District, love all my uh, colleagues there. They're the best and uh, miss the kids, miss, you know, it, it's a great place to teach and uh, loved every minute of it. You know, there were some rough times and things like that, of course, but as a teacher with my colleagues um, and the act of teaching, uh, it's fantastic. I, I love I love teaching, so. I think it's impressive how well-rounded your career is. I mean, you've got the time in the classroom, the time with the adults, the time with the politics. And I mean, that's your brain, your experience is honestly what we need to hear from all the time in education, you know, I, I, I'm really impressed with that resume. I mean, not that it matters if I'm impressed, but really as a parent and, and as a person paying into education, that's what I love to see as someone who spent time in all reaches of education. Well, thank you so much. And, um, yeah, it was a great experience. I actually even got the opportunity, uh, had the opportunity to, uh, do some adjunct work in the education department at Weber State. So I uh, kind of came full circle around, got my degree there, and then ended up uh, being able to help other teachers. So you did go back. I did go you back. You said you weren't going to see me again, and you came back. I came <laughs> back. So there you go. <laughs> well, that's good, Brad. So entire career in the Ogden City School District, is that right? Yes, I well, beginning of my career, actually, while I was going through college, uh, and for some more well-rounded, Meg, I uh, I went right into uh, working in the public schools in Davis County District. Um, I was a custodian for six years um, at, at night while I, I went to school in the day, and I was a custodian at night and did substitute teaching also. So, um, yeah, that's where I, I started, so... I like that because as a teacher later on, you know, you were very familiar with what it takes to turn a school around every day. <laughs> so yep, absolutely. Probably, probably very conscious of that, of that in the class. Well, and I'm surprised yeah. I went and taught junior high because uh, I ended up at Mount Fort Junior High uh, after Central closed. Um, yeah, I was, I was surprised that I went into that because I was a custodian in junior high and that's a whole different, whole different world. So, yeah, that was always the age group I feared most is the, the junior high. I mean, yep. And I, as I have a, a sixth grader, I'm like, oh, hell, we're headed into the junior high years. I'm slightly terrified. Yeah, it's a, I have a, I have a good colleague, uh, taught with him for years, another art teacher, and he compared junior high to a, uh, it was basically just a holding pen for werewolves is what he called it. So there you go. <laughs> oh God, I love that metaphor. You know, and just going back to you talking about being a custodian and things like this, I recently read an article in the Atlantic. They sent it to Colby actually. And it was a nurse that said, you know, I did my job during the time of COVID being a nurse. It's now time for teachers to do their job. And it was that whole argument of, of teachers needing to be essential workers and such. But I read the comments and one of them was, you have no idea what it takes to get a school from day to day right. to open. And, you know, as a nurse, you're in a place where they're constantly cleaning. You have custodians and such that are trained in that. And it made me think about the schools and the custodians. They're not trained to handle no. a freaking virus that's unknown. 
Not so, at all. And we're finding that in the workplaces everywhere else, because we, uh, as a union president, also cover a local that handles uh, state, county, and and you know city municipalities. They're social distancing. They're putting everything in place, and most people are still at home, working from home. And with education and and faculty and staff, uh, both in public ed and we cover higher ed, it's just like, well, there you go, go back and. Um, no, we're not going to enforce social distancing. We're going to give everyone a mask and, uh, you know, good luck. It's just, it's, I have a lot of, I have a lot of nervous people. I, I get emails all day long and phone calls and it's been pretty uh, crazy the last month. What are they nervous about? What's the primary concern? Well, let me put it this way. Most of them have now done living wills. They're afraid they're going to die. Yeah, so somber. It, it literally, it, it literally is on their is on their mind, and people may minimize that, say, "Oh, that's just ridiculous," but you know what? It's not because you just don't know. Am I going to be one of those that are going to be on event? Am I going to be one of those that are going to catch it? Uh-huh. My own sister teaches in Ogden City School District, um, and she's highly at risk. Uh, she was on a ventilator before. Um, with a horrible, horrible uh, infection. And we thought we were going to lose her. And she's like, I can't go back. <clears throat> she goes, I can go back and I'm going to do face to face because online is really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. But she goes, you know what? I, if I go, I go. And, and she's like, I, I'm expecting that I'm going to catch it. And I don't know what's going to happen to me. So why go back all these teachers that are afraid? Is it because they're the breadwinners? Is it because they love teaching? What What's the driving force to even want to go back for this year? I think it's really complicated. I We need jobs. They need to provide for their families. And um, you know, there are a lot of, I'm, I'm getting a lot of people saying that they're the only breadwinner. They may be a single parent. Uh, they may be a widow. Um, it's just, you know, with the economic times that we live in, you have to have that, that dual income. Um, some are going back because they do care about the kids. And it's not that teachers don't want to go back. My national union did a survey uh, we surveyed people from across the nation. 75% of teachers want to go back. They just want to go back safely. And all we're asking for is, is things to be uh, guidelines for the CDC and those things to be in place. The biggest obstacle that I find that we're running into is the social distancing. They cannot social distance. There's a big rally tonight at Granite District uh, that I was just watching online and our members and others are involved with that to where that's all they were asking for is, you know, do a hybrid system, do something because Granite District's plan was you're just going back and I'm getting teachers that are, are sending me their class loads. And they're like, I got 40 kids. There was one teacher that had 65 kids scheduled in one class. Uh, you can't do that. And, and, and so, you know, and then I have custodians that are being – told, well, to meet the guidelines to make sure that everyone's safe, you have to clean all the bathrooms while the classes are going on. You need to, in between passing times in a secondary school, you need to disinfect all the classrooms. And they said, so write up a plan. I encourage my custodians and my members 
my union members, I said, write them a plan. Tell them you need 10 additional employees because that's what they're asking for. And then, of course, we're not getting the money from the national level, uh, from, from our, our national leaders, to pay for all this. Uh, how do you open a school, do social distancing, provide the PPEs and everything? We don't have the money with the budget cuts because of COVID and, and the pandemic. So we're asking for the HEROES Act. It got shot down, passed in the House. We pushed for the HEROES Act. I've talked to our constitu- our, our folks back there, our senators and that. And, um, you know, Mitt Romney was like, I can look at something, but the the Senate president's not even going to allow it to come on the floor. So that's mm-hmm. what we're dealing with. Yeah, and it's an uh, interesting thing that he, the HEROES Act had so much in it. And so just to kind of put that in context, part of that funding was funding for local governments and state governments. And that money would trickle down to you folks to help with some of these uh, expenses that were not necessarily anticipated when budgets went out, right? But we didn't know that we were going to need to hire additional custodians because the schools would need to be cleaner. And so the hope was that the HEROES Act, which passed in the House, would get its day in court in the Senate, but that never came to fruition. Never came. So, Brad, I did want to ask a little bit about that since you're in contact with Utah's leaders. That's Mike Lee, Uh Senator Mike Lee, Senator Mitt Romney, and then also for Northern Utah, Representative Rob Bishop for a few more months. I wanted to ask, what is the sense from them as House Democrats and Senate Democrats and Republicans go into negotiations again for another round of stimulus? Does it look as though, based on what you've heard from our elected officials in Northern Utah, that potentially there would be some sort of funding to help folks in the schools or local governments or state governments? Is that something that's going to be on the table this time around? Um, from what we're seeing, and, and I, and I got to be really transparent that I've been so overwhelmed with other stuff, I haven't had a chance to look as closely at the stimulus package. I was so focused on the, on the HEROES Act and the funding that was coming from that. Um, I know that uh, there are provisions uh, in there. But as a package as a whole, it's not enough. Our national, uh, I've been in touch with our national union that's, of course, right there on the forefront in D.C. looking at this. And uh, no, we're not satisfied with that at all. It's not going to be nearly enough. We're talking billions of dollars have to come into public education. Um, to do what we're asking to, what they're asking in the, in the buildings for social distancing, I think you're looking at a million dollars a school. Hmm. And that's a chunk of change. I mean, we, you know how we do it in the state legislature by getting funding. We were excited for what was going to happen until the pandemic came up with a 6%. And it's not nearly what it will take to open the schools safely of what needs to be done. And, and we just don't have that at the state level. So, uh, again, when I reach out there, the only um, good contact that I had and, and a good discussion was with Senator Romney. Uh Senator Lee, uh, I was referred to a staff member, and and he, of course, wasn't going to have you know anything with the Heroes Act and, and with the new one. They're going to support uh, GOP leadership, but there's not enough in that bill. There's not enough substance in that bill to pay for this. So that's what we're looking at. I see. Well, and I mean, you're you're dealing with a large portion of the party that doesn't believe this is even an issue, and. Right. Teachers already had a hard time getting the value and the attention they needed before pandemic <laughs> that I, I can only imagine post it's even worse. 
Yeah. And, and it is. And I, I mean, to put this in context, because we're hearing a lot and, and being a teacher, representing uh, teachers, but also representing staff, we hear a lot about the teachers. And I don't want to I don't want to marginalize or minimize the impact that the teachers have and what they have to go through. But there's a lot of things that are also being um, not looked at, for instance, the bus drivers, you can't social distance on a bus. And when you're trying to do a route, you know, 30 or 40 kids uh, coming onto a bus and, and, and trying to deal with that, you have my child nutrition, kitchen managers and the staff in the kitchens trying to feed kids, uh, you know, the, the disruption from that. My wife's the secretary in elementary school in Weber County School District. She's always on the front line for the public that comes in. Um, worries me every day of the contact that she's going to come in with, with people coming in. And you know what? Every one of these employees care. and They're not going to turn people away. They're, they're, they're going to interact. They're going to interact with their students. They're, they're going to do their jobs. And then we're just going to hold our breath and, and cross our fingers that no one gets sick because that's my biggest worry is what am I going to do and how am I going to console, uh, family members of, of my union members or anybody else who have passed away. And we've already seen that happen in, in Ogden city district with a, a wonderful teacher, uh, and employee Lo- passed away in Ben Lomond. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So ideally, what is it that your union members want to see? I know you said the CDC recommendations, but you know, sure. I'm talking to friends that are speech pathologists with these students yep. and they want to see, money to have plexiglass so they can still, you know, what, what is it ideally in a perfect world, you've got your money, you've got everything you need. What is it that schools need to open safely? Yeah. I wish I had this in front of me. Um, we, we gave some guidelines. My, my national union hit on this and had a plan for opening. You can catch it off of AFT.org. You'll see the opening plan for schools and communities. Uh, some of those things are happening at the state level. Definitely the social distancing, but some things that are not talked about quite as much. Some districts are doing that. Um, HEPA filters and, and good filtration uh, throughout the buildings, the social distancing. Um, for a lot of the teachers, it's actually the supplies. You, you have hands-on teachers to do labs as science teachers or, for instance, art teachers, you know, everyone's going to have to have their own sets of art supplies that are disposable or that they hold on to that isn't used by the whole class. Uh, how do you disinfect those? Um, you know, how are the responsibility? I didn't even think t- of that. Yeah. I didn't yeah, even think about that. The responsibility of the teachers there have to disinfect in between class periods and, and make sure that, you know, especially in elementary, my, my sister and other, her colleagues have brought this up as my union members are like, Brad, how are we supposed to send kids to the bathroom? They go in waves. What do we do? Make sure that their hands are washed. Uh, It's just a lot of logistics that leaders are not thinking about. And State Board of Education just gave some guidelines. But basically, it comes from school to school. And bottom line is, governor won't make any state mandates on anything, except in schools where he In schools, yeah. it goes to the state board of education. They give some guidelines. They want, as they say, they want superintendents and districts to have the autonomy and make decisions because each school is going to be different. Superintendents come up with some planning. They do what they can. They put it off on the principals. Well, the principals are just bringing it right down to uh, the employees and saying, well, you know what? 
do what you can do. This is what we're going to offer. This is what we have money to offer. And if you think this is bad, no one has brought up, and this has been my big issue, no one has brought up the crap show that's going on in higher ed. Higher ed is completely not organized with any plans that are, there's a few recommendations coming from the new higher ed board of education that's been formed this year uh, with the bill that Senator Milner brought forward. But I was, uh, today I was on a two hour meeting with uh, higher ed, um, my union leaders, and it goes down to department to department and even professor from professor, no one's on the same page. And they're like, we're encouraging you to do as much face-to-face as you possibly can. And we're not going to, everyone has to wear a mask, but if a kid, if a student doesn't, okay. And by the way, we're not disinfecting anything between uh, courses or things like that. We'll do something at the end of the day and we'll see if we can get you some Clorox wipes. No, because in some of those classrooms, you know, um, you know, you got another class coming in and there will be several more that day doing it at the end of the day is, a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so there's a so, story that just came out that Clorox wipes won't be fully stocked in stores yeah, until 2021. So, so that sounds them. like some gaslighting right there. We'll get you some Clorox wipes. Well, we had some administrators uh, at the at the public school level that suggested it, and leaders suggested, well, the kids can help with this. Teachers don't have to do it. Um, you can't give children chemicals. And it was even brought up. Well, what about a Clorox wipe? It's like you can't do that and and no one wants to be liable for giving a child chemicals or a student chemicals and what happens rub their eyes with it things like that guess what it's going to go back on the employee and they're going to lose their jobs and plus it could harm children there's just no way well i think even beyond that the question should be why should they have to I mean, it, you don't you don't send your kids to school so that they can work for the school, right? Like I right. don't do that. You know, the, the children are there to learn, and yeah. they're there, and they're there, you know, and they're learning. So why can't we find the staff to make it a reality? Yeah. Fr- frustration for sure for the. Well, I mean, uh, the reason we can is that now we have COVID, and and we have teachers not wanting to go in there. So I can't imagine what it's like trying to hire right now. I, I imagine it's a hiring nightmare. Well, there is. And, and the other big question is, okay, so someone gets sick, someone gets COVID, uh, who's going to cover them? We can't even find subs. So who's going to cover them? Are you going to combine classes, which is going to be a social distancing issue? There's not going to be enough PSRPs or staff assistance to come in. And then my other big issue, and I've been bringing this up, um, and I met with, uh, I was on a, a web webinar with workers' compensation. What if someone gets sick at work? Is that a workers' comp, or are they going to be using all their leave? Yeah, wow. I, wow, that's a mess. And, um, yeah, I mean, they can, workers' comp said, yeah, in some instances, and they've already put out for some employees when they've been able to prove that someone got sick at work. But there's a lot of... Uh, steps to doing that and proving that and um but if are we going to see the increases again we don't know there has been some things out in the media and the press of us you know in, in other countries or a state where they started and the numbers went up um we saw there's a in lot Georgia, of there's yeah. 260 educational right. staff that were uh, tested and not allowed to come back into the. And that's the one that I was referring to. So, 
yeah, we just don't we we don't know. And of course, the opponents of this saying, "Oh, it's overblown. Kids are asymptomatic. They're not going to carry anything." Well, but they're asymptomatic. It can still go to adults, and they're going to carry that home to their kids. I mean, look at our look at our medical professionals that had to isolate from their own families for so long. Yeah, are all us staff members going to have to isolate from our families? Another hardship. Yeah, I, I I wanted to point out that there was a there was a a camp in Georgia, in the state of Georgia, where you know there were like 250 kids who hanging out at summer camp, you know, and I think they were between the ages of six and ten. A lot, like a lot of 51 percent of those kids at that camp came back with COVID 19, and so I think that we need to be serious about well kids don't get it like well i think that they do it's it's clear that that's happening but also like you brought up brad what does that mean for the spread when they bring it home to their families and the immunocompromised folks who grandma lives with them especially in communities of color where that's more common what does that mean because those communities are already hit hard by covid19 what does that mean um i wanted to ask you as well about um you, you talked a little bit about that hiring and yes. I wondered, it seemed we, we've heard that there are, it's difficult as a, as a young new teacher to make it past year five, many, many yes. not make it past. And so I wondered if that means that the majority of teachers in Weber and Ogden school districts are skewing older and what that means for them being in that sort of danger zone of Maybe you're close to retirement, you know, maybe you're above 45, you're getting up into your 50s, and what that means for you as a person who could potentially see the worst parts of COVID-19. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's a, a huge concern. Some districts um, have, have gone on their way, and um, Ogden Weaver, I mean, there is online options. If someone is at risk and they're in that at-risk category, they uh, put in for that for alternatives, uh, maybe in the hybrid system or or teaching online, seeing if there's something they can do them. Uh, We're seeing a lot of people that are just taking early retirement. It's just not worth it. I've got my 20 years in. They're going to take a huge cut, especially if they're on tier one in the URS, the retirement system. Most of us are on tier one that were before 2011 um, on that older system and we can retire at 30 years. They're still going to take a, a big cut and they're, they're getting out of the profession. There are people that are leaving. There are people that are just saying it's not worth the risk and, and getting out, but others are going to stick with it. And um, yeah, they're nervous. And I, it's amazing how many people are at risk, uh, asthma, uh, diabetes, uh, and we're all on the, I'm one of those, we're all on the risk list of, of COVID. And we're, we're told that we need social distance, that we should be avoiding any situation. Well, they're going to go in and teach. And uh, yeah, we, we do have a demographic uh, of a lot of uh, several folks. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is mm-hmm. that are at risk um, for catching this. And so, Brad, what does that mean for Ogden and Weber school districts as they try and plug those holes, you know, as experienced teachers opt out of their contract, essentially, and say, I'm, I, I can't, I, I, I choose life. What, what does that do? How do the school districts respond in that instance? 
we have we have school short we have teacher shortages uh they're going to have to reach out and try to find i think you're going to see staff assistants having to step up uh, we see this a lot with um staff all the time in the schools if a teacher is not available uh they just grab someone paraprofessionals that are just staff assistants in the classroom i've seen uh office personnel go in and have to cover classes and teach um, and they try to find long-term subs till they can hire someone, but there's not a lot out there right now. Um, it, it's going to be very difficult to fill those positions. And so that's going to be a huge stress on, on the school districts as they try to reach out, but they'll grab anyone that they can to cover classes. They may end up combining classes. Uh, again, we may start off with shortages. I can't speak for where the districts are at right now. My, uh, local presidents and that haven't reported those stats back to me if there is shortages. I usually find out about those shortages or if there's a crisis, usually about a week or two before school starts. I know that there's a lot of principals right now. They're doing interviews, trying to fill positions, um, and they're still doing interviews, trying to get people in place. So interviews are ongoing, and they usually, I've known people that have been hired uh, the day before school starts. That's not uncommon in our system anymore. Yeah. So I've decided, you know, I am going to homeschool my kids. I'm going to follow uh, the school district guidelines and probably do online learning. Mm -hmm. And I have a tremendous amount of guilt because, you know, coming from a teacher, I can only imagine if she had to classroom teach all day. and then have to go and do this online stuff. (laughs) What are the teachers? I mean, you know, and, and, you know, we, my whole life I've heard, well, they get summers off. They have the summers off and, you know, people don't understand how, how the salary of a teacher works. Right. What are teachers saying about having, whether people want to say it or not, this is extra work. This is is, work for a teacher. What are they saying about this online end of things? Sure. Every one of them are saying that it's extra work. And when you have a hybrid system uh, or, or in some um, there's even, there's even some systems or or teachers having to go in where they have to teach. uh, They still have to cover the online students that have opted done that option to do all online. They still are responsible for that curriculum, grading that and, also teaching all day, it, absolutely, it's extra work. And um, it's not the teaching that it used to be where it was more autonomous, things like that. Teachers are putting in, on average, before the, the pandemic, it's not unusual for teachers to put in 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, it was affecting their families. It affects their marriages. It affects time with their children because of the, the demands that were coming and the new accountability for public uh, educators uh, to be responsible for the learning of every student, making sure that they are being successful. It was already stressful. Then you compound that with online learning. And, and it was amazing what our educators did this shows the quality of teachers that we have in this state to where we shut down and they have three days to come up with a whole new system that they have never done before with online teaching and they pulled it off through the rest of the school year 
Now, that was kind of survival. There were a lot of students that probably did jump on there. And according to my folks, teaching really didn't happen as much as it should have. But now what you're doing is you're going into the new year with the accountability standards of, okay, you've got this under your belt now. We did this in the spring. Now it's got to be flawless. It's got to work. And they were some districts. Uh, I, I know in Ogden and Weber were being paid, paying teachers extra to get uh, online curriculum all summer. There has never been a summer off for teachers. It, it does not exist between the PD that you're doing, working a second job, because we only get paid for a 10-month contract or a nine-month contract. It's just stretched out through the rest of the year, but it's still a paid 10 months or nine-month contract. They're not paid over the summer. Yeah, they're good budgeters. They got to figure out living over that. Yeah, there's there's summer off. Yeah, there's no summers off. (laughs) And trust us, all of us went on vacations, and if we have a spouse uh, with our spouses, uh, they don't like it when you go on vacation. Guess what? You're buried in a book, or you're sitting there doing curriculum at night on vacation in a hotel room or camping or wherever because you know you have only so much time in the summer to get it done and be ready to go in the fall. Now that we know what we're up against, because everyone is holding their breath of wondering what the new school year was going to look like, again, it's a jam-packed last minute. We have to have all our curriculum up and going. We're, we're literally teachers going back in a week, and they have to have everything up and, and ready to go uh, for the new system. What can we do to empower teachers? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, teachers can't do this alone. Um, we have to have community backing, uh, backing us up. Um, again, it has to be the value of education and the value of public education. Uh, we have to understand what is the value of educating a child. And when the public gets behind us, they can do so much more than we do as educators. They can reach out to legislators. They can reach out to, uh, trust me, public constituents put far much more pressure on legislators than you can have the biggest rallies in the world at the Capitol or whatever. You can even go on strike. The strikes in Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, all these places, Oklahoma, the reason why they were so powerful and changed the system is there were more community members and parents and those in the community that valued educators and education than there were teachers that were on those picket lines or anywhere else. Yeah. We have a saying that in the union uh, community is the new density. We don't live in a time anymore where 50, 60% of workers are union members. The new density for union is community. And, and, it, and it's us going out and with our partners in the community, hand in hand with parents, to demand that people are safe, demand that people are taken care of. And uh, that's what it takes. That's the support that we need um, for our kids. That's my take. Yeah, so the, so the take there, it sounds like, is, I mean, it's good to reach out to state legislators, but uh, currently the, the go-back plans and all of that stuff that all lies with the superintendent and the boards of education in whatever district. And so the main thing is, you know, those are, those are small races and uh, just a handful of people, four or five people reaching out to a board of education member in whatever district you live in makes all the difference, I would say, because yeah. they, they the, get. The, 
I'll go ahead. Because they just don't get a lot of those kinds of calls because people right. are always so, you know, wound up about Congress or whatever. Well, they are. I mean, we're, we're all wound up about the presidential race. Yeah, I get it. We're all wound up about those bigger races. But most of the policies, laws and everything are always at the local level. You'll, you'll have a handful of laws, a thousand throughout the state in a state legislative session, even less than that in the national scene. But you go to a city, municipality, and there are over a thousand laws that affect citizens. You go into local school boards, and there's policies, there's hundreds of policies that affect us every day in the family, and those are the races that are ignored. And... and yeah, I mean, those are the ones where we should be right there because those are the ones that affect us and our family and our children. And even after we're empty nesters like I am, it affects us. It affects us on taxes. It affects us on what are we going to fund education. And so many times, those are the smallest races on an off year. Hardly anybody gets out and votes for those things. But I'll tell you, it makes a big difference when you're showing up to a school board meeting and, and you're getting on the, the calendar to speak or you're getting on that agenda to speak or you're calling them directly and holding our local school board members accountable and giving your input, it, it's extremely effective. That's how we get things done. Yes, sir. And, and like you said, I mean, the, the taxes that you're paying, the majority of them are being decided at that local level. Absolutely. Property taxes, the taxes that go into education, that's all being decided in city council and um, school board meetings. Yeah, I go to my city council meeting often here in Clinton, and most of the time I'm the only one except for the board members that are there. Oh, man, me and Dan need to come hang out with you. We, we both you do. Live, we, we live a block from Clinton City Hall. Oh, you got to see Mitch Adams at work. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, so basically uh, a, a ringing endorsement from – AFT president Brad AC here that all politics are local folks, just like we always say on the show. Um, Brad, so if I understood that then the, the takeaway here, the call to action for the JC peeps in this, in this fight to make sure that teachers and staff are kept safe as the school year gets going is reach out to school board members, reach out to your superintendents, reach out to maybe even your state legislators and let them know that you're concerned with the way that teachers are essentially being asked to do way too much. Right. And if you, if you have the ability, uh, socioeconomically, whatever, to volunteer in those schools, do that. Hmm. They can, they can use you. Staff can use you. Uh, parents coming in, that's what made Mount Fort so great is we had good community involvement. We had a community school there for a time where uh, it does become the hub for the community. And, and when a school is that and, and you have parents and community members coming, serving on community councils, things like that, those are the best run schools. Those are the ones where the communication flows back and forth. And that's where the best learning and the things come is when everyone's involved and everyone's working together. Discipline issues go by down uh, youth and teen suicide awareness. Uh, you know, you have less suicides, you have less issues with drugs, a uh, hundred things when you partner with a uh, community and everyone gets involved in, in the education process. I love the fact that I would have volunteers in my classroom. Uh, I had some retired folks that would come in and help me, retired artists that would come in work with my students in our reading classes, 
Uh, we had people that come in every day and read, help tutor math. And I'll tell you, that's a thriving environment when you have community involved. So that's other ways that you can be involved too. Made all the difference. Yep. Uh, before we wrap up here, I did also, I forgot to mention this at the top of the interview that Brad, you were recently awarded with the Ed oh. Main Labor Champion Award from the Utah State Democratic Party. Congratulations on that award. Thank you. That, that is a huge, that's a huge honor. Um, Ed Main uh, is a hero of mine. Um, I was young. Uh, my mom worked closely with him. Uh, I have a lot of, uh, history in labor and things like that. My mom uh, served on the labor commission and was with him. And then of course, Karen Maine uh, is my hero, his wife and Senator Maine. She's an AFT member, uh, one of my, my union sisters. And to receive that award uh, with the champion of labor, which Ed Maine was, uh, that's definitely been a highlight for me. And I'm, I'm very honored and very humbled. There's been some really good labor leaders that, have been phenomenal to receive that award. So I was a bit taken back and a little shocked and, but um, humbled to receive that. So thank you. Well, I think it's a signal of all the hard work that you've been doing and all the good, the good work that you've been doing in terms of going out, talking to legislators, talking to the national folks, talking to the media, making sure that the concerns of teachers in our communities are getting out there and they're getting in the media that people in power know what is happening in the, in the classrooms and where folks all right. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, with that, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Um, appreciate you. Like you said, Brad, being willing to come on and chat with the JC peeps today about concerns of schools opening back up. As we said, folks, if you have the opportunity, make sure to reach out to your school board and superintendent members. That's where you can have the greatest impact and also be willing to put on that mask. And if you have the time, uh, be willing to volunteer in some of these schools because they could really use the help. Uh, like we talked yeah. about custodians, they could use some help. The teachers in the classrooms are probably going to need some help. This is going to be a community effort. All of us need all of us. So be willing to get out there and uh, make a difference. Uh, with that, uh, we will wrap it up. If you haven't already, please uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It uh, gives us an opportunity to get in front of more folks in the community. And be sure to tell your friends about the show. Uh, we'd love to grow the community and make sure that we have a strong group of folks in Weber County who care about the community and who are involved. And with that, I'll turn it to Meg Sanders and say, like we say every week, all politics is local.